This is Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division... There was a parent who came and spoke and was on the verge of tears. They very deeply believe that their children are being corrupted by this idea, whether it's because of information they've been getting through other conservative outlets, I can't know for certain, but Mm -hmm. it has latched onto people's psyche. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. This is Evelyn Lopez. Today on Crossing Division, I am joined by Chase Hutchinson, who is a reporter with the News Tribune. And we are going to talk about critical race theory, or CRT, as it's sometimes called, and how it is cropping up in our local school board elections. So first, some background. Um, Chase, why don't you start by telling me What actually is critical race theory? That's the question on everyone's minds that repeatedly get brought up. You know, the way people are acting about it, you just think this is something really big. And um, the rhetoric is like, this is communism and this is Marxism and they want to teach it to our children. So what is it? Right. And that's kind of the job of a journalist is to provide some clarity and a definition to what it is. So I actually spoke to a UWT professor who defined it as a simple way for the purposes of this conversation as a sort of obscure, older field of study that attempts to look at how society and its laws and its institutions and its structures are built in such a way that there are racist outcomes. Mm -hmm. And a specific example of that is to look at drug sentencing laws. There used to be crack cocaine versus powdered cocaine and Mm -hmm. how that ended up having racist outcomes. Mm -hmm. Um, A good example, my colleagues Stacia and Allison did a long-form investigative piece that black people in Tacoma are pulled over more. There is not an explicit policy that says pull over black people more, but the outcome ends up being the same. So it was an attempt to look at sort of the failings of race-neutral laws that were not meant to discriminate but still have discriminatory outcomes for a whole host of reasons that Mm -hmm. are based in history and based in past institutional discrimination. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'll put a word in here. You know, I was a social science major in college in the 1980s, and then I went to law school in the 1980s, mid-80s. And um, this was... I don't think anyone was calling it critical race theory at the time, or at least not that I can recall. But this type of analysis is really important because you need to be able to look at, you know, what is the phenomenon that is happening here? And if we control for all the variables, let's say you're looking at outcomes in education and you control for all the variables, you say, okay, let's only look at students that come from the same income or students that come from households with two parents in them or or students who come from the same town. And we would expect if we control for all these things that they would have about the same success rate in school, you know, similar grades, similar test scores, um, similar graduation rates. And if they don't, then you've got to dig a little deeper and say, okay, well, what else is going on here that might explain this? And this is where, you know, your um, 
powder cocaine versus crack cocaine. Powder cocaine tended to be used more by um, elites, tend to be white college student type drug, white people drug. Crack cocaine tended to be a lower economic drug, more associated with black communities. And you could have two people who were arrested with the same amount of cocaine in their possession, and you would have wildly different outcomes. And that's the operative point there, is that it's a way to understand how that can happen. And I think your way of describing it as analysis is good. I've heard it described as a lens Mm -hmm. through which to view how society has created unfair systems that disproportionately affect different people. Mm -hmm. So to me, that doesn't sound particularly alarming. But what's happening out in the world of education? How is it playing? So that's going to be the tricky part and why this story has been in many ways very difficult to cover because the job of a journalist is to provide clarity when there is a lot of, I would say, misinformation that has been swirling around this. And even as we're talking now, Doug is a very quick editor, but by the time this goes up, there could be some sort of new evolution of the idea. Mm -hmm. But largely the pushback against CRT has been coming from Parents who say it is being used to indoctrinate their children, they often speak in very personal terms and say it will make their children feel bad for being white Mm -hmm. or that it will create division. And most school districts have had to clarify that they are not teaching anything like that, that there's nothing in their curriculum that represents that. Mm -hmm. But for many of these parents or school board candidates that we'll get into, It's their primary issue. They think it is the most pressing thing facing their district. And that's what they're pushing for is to Mm -hmm. to ban this either preemptively if they can't find any evidence of it or Mm -hmm. identify things that they expand the definition to include. Any sort of discussions of inclusivity or diversity are things that they expand this definition into and say that they shouldn't have to ever deal with or that their students shouldn't ever have Mm -hmm. to be learn about. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't happen to have children, but if I did, they would be white children. Um, and perhaps if they were in school learning about slavery, they might feel like, well, that's a terrible thing that happened and it didn't happen to white people. So are the anti-CRT folks hoping to ban the teaching of slavery? It depends on who you talk to. Um, For many of them, they'll try and create some sort of delineation where they say we should learn the facts of history and we should learn that these things happen, but in a way where no one feels bad. Uh And that creates a very strange threshold of how how are we supposed to measure when people feel bad? Mm -hmm. I've been reading a lot about the anti-CRT pushes, and there was an example where there was a first-person book that was written about a young black girl being integrated into school. And the experience she had. Yes. And parents expressed frustration because they said it demonized white people, that it made it seem as though they were all opposed to her going in and that it created this sort of division in their mind. Proponents of the book say that's just what was happening. There was Mm -hmm. a concerted effort to stop the desegregation of schools, and there were people yelling at children. There's documented photos of it. And... To learn about that is 
historically accurate. Yeah. So was this the book that was the book about Ruby Bridges? It is. That was the one I was referring to. So this is a this is a, a woman who, as a little girl, was one of the first little girls to be integrated into white schools. And the book, as I recall, is about her actual experiences. Right. So they so they we shouldn't learn about the actual factual information that she personally experienced. And for some parents, that's what they're taking this anti-CRT push into, that they're targeting specific textbooks or programming or curriculum that they think is an example of CRT. Mm -hmm. But the tricky thing that we're talking about is that CRT, no matter how many experts and journalists try and define it, has expanded to include so many different things to so many different people Mm -hmm. that it really, for a lot of teachers, is raising concern that any sort of curriculum they teach discussing Jim Crow or the impacts of slavery could fall under that broad umbrella and catch all of information. And and for many teachers, they think that could create a chilling effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had seen a, a story also of a, of a teacher not here in Washington who was, I think, suspended for assigning a, a poem by Tanasi Coates in his curriculum. I think that might have been the combination of a poem that was a spoken word poem and then an essay by Mr. Coates. But yes, that was an example where some teachers were very concerned and some students came out and raised a lot of concerns that they felt this professor was or teacher was being unfairly targeted, that Mm -hmm. he had been being very balanced in what he was teaching, but it it didn't end up mattering. That ended up, I think, being before a lot of this is happening, which is why I think it's important to clarify that A sort of anti-CRT push is new in its current form, but Mm -hmm. it's building upon a lot of different, particularly conservative pushback to curriculum, Mm -hmm. whether it's people being opposed to Howard Zinn and teaching his material. It's come in different forms. This one is still unique because of how coordinated it has been, because they're all using a lot of the same terms. It's taking different forms following that, but there's a lot of the same concerted strategy and effort, which I don't know if we want to get into it now, but it stems from Gig Harbor, which is where I cover and have been following some we'll of this. We'll definitely be getting into it because I think the story gets really interesting at that point. But let's talk first about the Peninsula School Board candidates that uh, you've recently written about. And mm-hmm. the three candidates are Linda Adair or Adder, I'm not sure how she says that, Eric Johnson and David Weinberg. Mm-hmm. And what are these three, what have these three candidates done that's sort of different? For one, respond to requests from me for comment. I've primarily been able to talk with Eric over the phone, David over email, Linda, I talked once over the phone and, and declined to comment. So there, mm-hmm. there are varying degrees of openness about what they're talking about. But the differentiation has been is that Eric has made it a pretty prime focus of his campaign. He, mm-hmm. whenever I talk to him, will say that he wants this to be something that he can bring to the school board and create, as he told me, some sort of process to review curriculum. And if there was curriculum that deviated from what he says is the right way to teach things into teaching critical race theory, as he calls it, there would potentially need to be some sort of top-down corrective action. Mm -hmm. That's something only Eric has told me. Okay. The other two have been a little bit different. The thing they all had in common at a recent debate-slash-forum, they all said they would support a resolution opposing critical race theory. Mm -hmm. It's unclear how much teeth that would have, Mm -hmm. if it could actually stop anything. 
But they all said they would support a resolution like that. Well, and they all put out a, a sort of a coordinated advertisement too, didn't they? They did, which was something I haven't typically seen and was somewhat unique. But they all purchased an ad in the Key Peninsula News deeper into the monthly edition of that paper where it was all their names saying, we oppose, in addition to critical race theory, a other uh, target of conservative outrage, mm-hmm. sex education and teaching about consent and healthy choices for young people. They think it's also kind of part of this indoctrination. Mm -hmm. In the ad, they specifically were saying that by recognizing different gender identities, you're teaching children it's okay to not be a boy or a girl or something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. And what was unique and what we were trying to fully understand is they're going into a primary on August 3rd. Mm -hmm. And buying an ad saying vote for all three of us potentially has the way to kind of dilute the vote. Um, Obviously, one of them will likely go through. They're running against Jennifer Butler, who would take one of those spots, and then likely one of them would take the other. But Mm -hmm. it was a a very interesting strategy, um, but clearly showed that to them, they all had common ground around these key issues. They've said it's not a strategic alliance, but it's just them making clear that they are all on the same side of this particular issue. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. And... um You also had a story fairly recently about South Kitsap School Board uh, rejecting a resolution that was that was intended to condemn uh, CRT. Did you get any sense of the resolution that the Peninsula School Board candidates would like to see? Do you think that's similar to what the South Kitsap School Board was looking at? At a very fundamental level, yes, I think so. There were specific elements of the South Kitsap resolution that were quite unique based on what I've seen. There was a specific subset of it that talked about how it shouldn't be teaching that anyone could be a victim, as they said it, because of their background and that everyone is sort of responsible for their own circumstances. That was unique. I Mm -hmm. don't know whether that type of language would be brought into the Peninsula one, especially since the South Kitsap one failed. A large number of teachers showed up and the majority of the board voted it down. Um, So they might try and... If they were to be elected to school board or if there was some sort of resolution they brought forward, they might try and change it. So I can't know for certain, but there there certainly seems to be the general thrust that would be yeah. in the same direction. Yeah. Well, and my recollection was that in South Kitsap, one of the things that came out quite clearly was that, in fact, no one's teaching critical race theory at any schools in South Kitsap. Right. And that's where it becomes interesting because a lot of the people who are in the anti-CRT camp are saying that reporters and journalists are being far too trusting of districts' words which and giving too much deference to them, which if they saw many of the conversations I have with the district where I've asked tough questions, held their feet to the fire on other issues, they would know that was not the case. Yeah. But to them, no matter how many times the district will say – we are not teaching critical race theory, the response usually from these people is, oh, well, it's just critical race theory under another name. I see. And they'll say it's about diversity or equity and inclusion. That's really just critical race theory. And they've just expanded it Mm -hmm. so much to no district in the country is saying that they're teaching critical race theory. It's not even a curriculum that you can really teach. But to these people who are concerned, it is present. It Mm -hmm. is very real. I watched a school board meeting in the Peninsula School District where there was a parent who came and spoke and was on the verge of tears. They very deeply believe that their children are being corrupted by this idea, whether it's because of information they've been getting through other conservative outlets, I can't know for certain, but Mm -hmm. it has latched onto people's psyche. 
And it has really convinced people that this is happening to where no matter how many times experts or teachers or school district officials will say it's not happening, to them, they're convinced it is. And that's mm-hmm. it's really tough to, to kind of narrow down why that is. But it's it's very real to these people, even if it's not factually true. Yeah. So you have a situation where um, parents in the community, school board members in South Kitsap, school board candidates in Peninsula um, are all rallying around this idea that something is being taught in the schools Mm -hmm. that is either negative about um, the white race or um, trying to explain inequities through looking at past racial issues, and all of that just should not be happening for these folks. And what's interesting is that, as we talked about at the beginning, critical race theory, as it's actually defined, is about looking at systems. Mm -hmm. It's not about trying to make anyone feel guilty or bad, even if it were supposedly being taught. That's not the goal. But all of these people speak in very personal terms, including themselves. I, I had an exchange with David Weinberg where... I wasn't asking him about whether he himself is racist or not, Mm -hmm. but he volunteered up that he wasn't because Dances with Wolves is his favorite movie and it exposed him to the plight of indigenous peoples in the United States. And that America itself can't be racist because we elected Obama twice and now Kamala Harris as a VP. It it ends up becoming deeply personal to these people where to say something is racist is taken as a personal insult rather than a factual observation about structural Mm -hmm. inequalities. And I think that's that's the biggest disconnect and why so many people are making this the priorities that they feel individually aggrieved or attacked because of conversations like this. Yeah, that's a very interesting situation. You know, I I don't know—of course nobody wants to be called a racist— I mean, I, I would assume that if you are a member of the KKK or something or, you know, the Aryan nations, that you would be quite happy to be called racist. I mean, that is— You'd wear it as a badge of honor. You would think that that's the whole point, right? Mm-hmm. But short of that, I mean, short of that extremity, uh, nobody wants to be called a racist. And yet, you know, folks are not willing to do some introspection and to say, well, let's look at how I grew up. You know, did I have friends of different— you know, different races. Uh, did I have any teachers who were different races? Um, what kind of church did I go to? I mean, I, I, I'm projecting from my own background, but I'm thinking most people probably were mostly surrounded by people who looked like them. Yeah, that's the way we work in this country. It's, well, it's the way we work in most countries. So, of course, you have biases. Of course, you have, um, you know, assessments and, you know, preconceptions and lack of information. And if you don't acknowledge that, then you can never get past it. And I think that's the main thing I've begun to observe and what critics of sort of this pushback have said is that for people, an acknowledgement of unequal systems or any conversation about racism, they have managed to position that as in itself racist, Mm -hmm. to acknowledge that there are systemic problems is somehow reaffirming them. The biggest example is that almost every school board uh, controversy around this has ended with people talking about Martin Luther King and the quote about not judging people by the content of their character. Mm -hmm. And every school board member, uh, whether on their website or in conversation with me, has used that same quote. The ad they used used a version of it even though they didn't attribute it to him. 
And it was fascinating just hearing it over and over again. Obviously, there are people who Mm -hmm. say this is a pretty watered-down version of what all of what Dr. King had to say. But for them, it's to acknowledge that racism has made it so people experience lives differently is to say people are somehow fundamentally different and is itself racist. And that's it's tough to figure out because it's like they're moving in two very different directions from each other where Mm -hmm. people say we should look at the systems and how that happens. And then these people will say looking at that system is itself racist and will mean that we only reaffirm it. Well, and what I'm also hearing in that is is a sentiment that any discussion of race will make me feel judged. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, we can't have any of it because yeah. because I need to be comfortable. And I think that, and this is something critics of this kind of push have said, feels very similar to conversations around the desegregation of schools, that the feelings and sense of comfort for white children should be prioritized above all else. Mm-hmm. And that if there's any discomfort that is felt, that is reason itself to shut it all down, that it is reason itself to not ever feel like we need to address this. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, let's take a break here. And when we come back, I'd like to talk about um, Christopher Rufo, who's from Gig Harbor, and sort of uh, whether this is all because of him. Hello, this is Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, Citizen Tacoma, and a proud Alaska Airlines frequent flyer. Everything in our day-to-day life seems to involve more hassle these days. So it feels good that Alaska Airlines is making something easier. Alaska has made air travel virtually touch-free. Here's the rundown. When you check your bags at the airport, you won't have to touch the kiosk to print your bag tags. They'll print when you scan your boarding passes, or you can even print them from home. When you board your flight, they can scan your boarding pass from as much as six feet away. Now, the lawyers want me to say that this might not work if the lighting in the terminal is low or if the print quality of your boarding pass isn't great. But still, kudos to Alaska for trying to keep physical distancing at every point of the trip. And don't forget, you can pre-order your meal from your phone or from your computer. You can even put your card on file in case you decide mid-flight to splurge on a local wine or beer. Get your drink without pulling out your card. Now that's the perfect blend of convenience, safety, and temptation. Those are the thoughtful details that make me choose Alaska Airlines every time I fly domestically. When you're ready to travel, rest easy, because Alaska's got this. Skip the travel sites and visit alaskaair.com to book your next flight. Thank you, Alaska Airlines, for making travel smoother, and thank you for your support of Channel 253. Hi, we're back. Uh, Before we dig a little bit deeper into our local mastermind of the anti-CRT movement, uh, I'd like to ask you to consider becoming a Channel 253 member. We uh, fund our podcasts, our productions out of membership dues for the most part, plus a little bit of ad revenue, and we could really use your help. Uh, it is a screaming good deal, $4 a month or $40 a year, and you will get access to a few member perks such as the Off the Record podcast and our always interesting uh, member-only Slack channel. So please consider joining. Okay, Chase, so you had done a story, I think, as well about Christopher Rufo, who lives in Gig Harbor and who at least is kind of self-proclaimed in his Twitter comments that he is the one who has identified CRT as the as the 
uh, issue that really can go far for people who are more uh, conservative. Yeah. And the first thing I want to say is that a lot of the initial reporting around Mr. Rufo came from a story in the New Yorker and the Washington Post. And so I would want to make sure to give due credit to them. But yes, fair enough. Mr. Rufo, I tried to contextualize a little bit more of his Mm -hmm. local ties. He at one point had run for Seattle City Council, had written a few opinion pieces for publications in Seattle, and recently moved to Gig Harbor. And that was the birthplace of at least a lot of the information we are seeing about how conservatives are opposed to critical race theory came from him. There have obviously been offshoots of what he has said. He can't control all of it, but it was him making appearances on Fox News where he caught the ear of then-President Donald Trump, who then introduced a executive order trying to push back against this supposed indoctrination. President Biden, I believe, pretty early on reversed that. But it all started with him and his home in Gig Harbor. The New Yorker story talked about how he has his own little studio to effectively beam in for television appearances. And he was running this this whole show and launched it into the stratosphere of now where everyone has at least heard this term because of how he has defined it and how he has pushed it into the forefront of conversation. Yeah, it's it's really remarkable. Um, The story included a quote from – I think this was off of his Twitter, but it may not have been – But the quote's so good, I'm going to say it here too. So this is from Christopher Rufo. We have successfully frozen their brand, critical race theory, into public conversation and are already driving up negative perceptions. We will eventually turn it toxic as we put all of the various cultural insanities under that brand category. And that was a remarkable quote for... For a lot of people, it was a smoking gun, that it was a clear indication of, of what he was doing, how this was all politically motivated and a, a strategy on his part. Well, certainly, I think in some ways it's helpful because my question on all of this was sort of like, you know, what is going on here and where is this coming from and why is it happening now? And for many people, it seemed similar to other moral panics, as they've described it, where it was a culture war issue that was to them manufactured to specifically get out voters for midterms and other issues to animate a Republican base who doesn't have a lot to get out for. Their Mm -hmm. previous president lost pretty handily, and now they're looking for something to sort of rally people out there. And normally people have to draw assumptions from what people's intentions are, but it it certainly seems like based on how Rufo has, has spoken about it, that was the game all along, and that was his intent. I had tried to, to reach out to him, and I got a hold of his assistant who said in a couple different ways that he wasn't going to respond to comment for a story. Mm-hmm. I did discover he had blocked me on Twitter after that, but <laughs> um, he, he very much views this as his crusade to, as you said, freeze this very specific definition in place mm-hmm. and place all these things into it. And for people who saw that, they pretty much thought it gave away the game was what I think local officials had told me. But I think the interesting thing for me is that even if it does, I mean, even if that reveals that this is really a strategy um, to whip up the base, whatever it may be, it doesn't really matter if you're talking to parents who are practically in tears over the idea that their child is going to be learning something that will, in that parent's eyes, you know, create some... um, 
negative impact on the kid. I mean, if that's really what people are believing, that, you know, my child will hear things and learn things that may make them upset and I don't want that to ever happen, yeah, how do you roll that back? That's that's a question that goes to this deeper conversation about shared realities. And there's already been lots of conversations, especially in a COVID pandemic world that we mm-hmm. hope is post soon, but we are still very much in that different worlds and different sources of information make it so me watching that, I have no idea how this person has gotten to that place. But to that person, it feels very real that there mm-hmm. is a very imminent threat that is facing them. So in that way, Rufo and people who have made this sort of a central focus of our collective discussions have succeeded, that there is someone who has gone to a school board meeting very much passionate and believing that they need to do this. I should note that the school board meeting was fairly low-key. There were a few people that spoke and then applauded, but it's not like elsewhere where we've seen people have to be taken out. It mostly just went fairly benignly. Um, What was interesting is that school board members typically don't respond Mm -hmm. to public comment. One member did, and that was, I believe I'm pronouncing her name right, Deborah Krishnahan. Mm -hmm. She's the one who's going to have the open seat in position two. Mm -hmm. And she attempted to clarify that there was a specific Senate bill that people were pointing to, that it did not say anything about critical race theory, that it was about for district officials learning about good equity and inclusion training and that it wasn't to teach a curriculum. And she offered a pretty passionate, strong rebuttal to that. I don't know whether that's because she doesn't need to worry about running for re-election again. Um, It should also be noted she's endorsed Jennifer Butler. She at one time had signed up to run but then dropped out and threw her support behind her. I don't know how that will influence the dynamics of the race, but... It's, again, does her response to this parent matter? Does it get through to her? It's it's hard to know. Um, I would say it's difficult when there's five minutes of a school board member responding to someone versus thousands of hours of Fox News that has mentioned this right. over and over and over again. How do you, how do you break that down? Well, um, yeah, and I think if you have that um, sort of distrust of institutions, distrust of government, the— Bill you'd reference, I had taken note, was uh, Senate Bill 5044-5044, if anyone wants to look it up. And I think I'll link this maybe in the show notes for this. That bill requires uh, school districts to provide training on diversity, inclusion, and anti-racism, which, you know, let's be honest, I think that's what we – we want school districts to do that. I mean, it's good for teachers to understand what biases they might be bringing to the classroom. It's good for people to, in that – power situation over children to um, second-guess themselves and question, you know, what is my motivation here? Why am I reacting so strongly to this? Um, But I can imagine that if you are at the point where the words diversity and inclusion and anti-racism are sort of triggering, if what you hear is that's anti-whiteness and my kid's going to be blamed for stuff and feel lousy and, and will have a terrible experience at school because of it, then I guess you react to it. I mean, I, I would have said in the past, parents who felt that way would put their kids in private schools, especially private religious schools. Um, but now it seems like what they would like to do is change the public schools. And there was that brought up in the school board meeting where this person I referenced had said they had already moved their schools once and they said they would do so again mm-hmm. as sort of a here are the consequences that that could happen. I think 
even though the word has sort of different connotations, I think the word trigger is a good one Mm -hmm. because it implies there has also been a priming, that there has been an educated effort to make sure that the information people receive means that as soon as they hear this word, they're already ready to go to where it doesn't really matter what the school board member says, Mm -hmm. what the district official says. I talked to the incoming superintendent in Peninsula, Creston Bar, where I asked this question. Mm -hmm. And the district knew it was coming. They gave me a handout Mm -hmm. of the different points that they were trying to lay out. And I put that in the story. It doesn't it doesn't get through. It's seen as me being overly deferential to the district. Mm -hmm. And I'll level with you. I've tried to hear from people very genuinely. I've said, what is the evidence you have of this indoctrinization, this critical race theory of, like, is there any handout or worksheet or Mm -hmm. book where some kid has been told they should feel bad because they're white? Right. The closest response I've been able to get is from Eric, Mm -hmm. one of the school board candidates who has repeatedly referenced the book A is for Activists, which he said was given to one of his kids. It's a children's picture book. That certainly is billed as a progressive slant. Mm -hmm. He says it's no longer taught in the district, but he repeatedly points that as the biggest thing. He held it up during the debates. I've tried to get more specifics from him. He sent me a few screenshots of quotes from different scholars that they say are critical race theory that he says is in the district, but I haven't ever seen anything beyond that. He oftentimes says that the district website where it references uh, resources about race and diversity and inclusion. He thinks that's an example of critical race theory. But Mm. in all of my reporting, I haven't been able to find any curriculum Mm -hmm. that at all approaches what any of these people are claiming. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, sort of a side note here, but I mean, the curriculum in Washington schools has really, um, there's not a whole lot of scope for originality or fluff in the school curriculum because of testing, because of any number of things. So, I mean, to me, it would be a little surprising if teachers were able to really deviate from teaching, you know, history, English, math, science. I mean, the the standard topics are pretty – they're pretty set. I mean, they don't really go off into um, areas of just, you know, personal interest. But, but again, you know, if you're a parent that thinks this is happening, I'm not sure if those statements are – you know, make much of an impact. Right. And Mr. Johnson did send me a bunch of YouTube links that he claims mm. had showed up in the district. Um, I then took that to a district spokes- spokesperson who said something very similar, that there is some leeway, mm-hmm. but that those links or any sort of critical race theory umbrella terms weren't being used. And so it's it's repeatedly been that the goalposts have had to move in yeah. some ways, that in talking with each other, they've had to find things that they can retrofit back into this to continue the the argument going. Right. This is more of an analysis step out. I think it's starting to get a little difficult to do that because when something, even if you don't fully believe what the district is saying, when the district has said this isn't happening, there's no examples of it, and you can't come up with anything more than a couple things that then they say aren't even in the district, Mm -hmm. it might not last for very long. I can't know for certain. I certainly think they're still going to bank a lot of their candidacies on it. And we'll we'll see come August 3rd how successful that is Mm -hmm. in terms of the the total vote share, at least here. Well, and that's what I was sort of wondering was, I mean, uh, to me, this sounds um, wild and, um, you know, not something that I would have anticipated. But is it working? 
Um, and I was going to look up PDC for some of these races, although in all honesty, school board races don't generally generate a whole lot of money. Um, to the extent that they will, it'll be closer to the general election, not the primary. But have you got any sense as to whether these um, statements are gaining traction with voters? With that first part, when it comes to fundraising, they were obviously able to take out an ad and are putting up signs. Like That's they're, true. They're putting some resources into this, so I, I don't want to sell it short that yeah. there isn't this concerted effort. Whether it's working, I can't know for certain. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see come August 3rd, and then that will kind of inform the general election if one of them gets— it's possible all three of them get the votes and yeah. Jennifer Butler doesn't get in. I would be surprised by that yeah. because I do think they've kind of fractured their voting base even mm-hmm. if they didn't mean to. Mm-hmm. But we'll see come following that. I think based on just general perusing of their social media, mm-hmm. they don't have a lot of broad social media support. They only have a handful of likes. They are part of different social media groups, but mm-hmm. that's a fraction of the total district. But we'll see. I, I would say that there is starting to be – some clarity that maybe there will reach a tipping point where people will either have to show what they're doing, put all their cards on the table and demonstrate that there is this critical race theory. Yeah. Or eventually people will possibly run out of ammunition, run out of steam. But mm-hmm. that's that's something that can only be known for certain mm-hmm. when, when we look over the, the coming mm-hmm. months. I, I don't want that to make anyone sort of think that there isn't a large group of people that feel this. There is. Yeah. And... Because we, we were having conversations about this story where by covering it, are you giving it too much oxygen? Mm-hmm. Is this really a minority of parents? And I think it is. I think it is still largely fringe. But as we've seen a fringe sort of push against something, even if it's been debunked, even if there have been fact checks on it, can still really gain steam. Mm-hmm. And I think it has gained steam. So understanding that, providing clarity about that, and trying mm-hmm. to understand where it is all coming from, that's that's been what I've been trying to do. There have been times where we've chosen not to write about things. The school board meeting, I didn't cover that. Mm-hmm. Um, parents came and spoke. Nothing really changed. They sort of said the same points. So it, it just wasn't worth it. If yeah. there was ever a resolution introduced by the school board, then that reached the threshold of, mm-hmm. oh, things are moving. Yeah. But parents coming to a school board meeting, unless there's any sort of follow-up action— that's where I'd say it, it kind of lost steam. They got a lot of their concerns out there. They got a response. I, I don't know if it'll continue beyond the midterm elections, mm-hmm. at least in the form that it is. Mm-hmm. Well, we've been talking about um, schools and uh, districts that are across the bridge from Tacoma. There is a local candidate, Sarah Hendricks, who's running against Enrique Leon. And in her signs, she says, education, not indoctrination. And I'm assuming that indoctrination, when I see that, is talking about something like critical race theory. I think that's a fair point. Um, I would say this candidate is not someone I think has as good of a chance. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying anything is impossible, but she is running against an incumbent. Yeah, pretty well-respected one, too. And doesn't have a lot of uh, support that I have been able to see. I would struggled to track down a website or any yeah. sort of campaign infrastructure. I also think, and this could be an hour-long conversation itself, yeah. <laughs> I think the dynamics of Tacoma versus Peninsula are Quite very different. different. Yes. And obviously in Peninsula, they're running for an open seat. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why so many people jumped in for this. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, um, do you have any thoughts? I, I haven't really seen any effective counter-narrative to this other than people saying, well, schools aren't teaching it. That's not what it means. You're wrong. I mean, I, I, 
I'm sort of waiting for someone to do a big kaboom back with a, a nice little snappy retort, and I'm not seeing it yet. I think the and this is me speaking as someone else's perspective. Yeah. But in the Atlantic, I believe his pronounce his name is pronounced Ibrahim Kendi. Mm-hmm. He wrote this piece where he. Basically, and he didn't, I believe, use this exact word, but this is essentially what he's saying. He was saying anti-critical race theory advocates are creating a straw man. Mm -hmm. They are not arguing with me or people who talk about race and racism. They are arguing with themselves. They have created this boogeyman of sorts and are just kind of running in circles. And every time it is clarified that that is not what we are saying, they will find a way to create some sort of, and the idea of a straw man is something that's a weaker argument so that you can take down. Yeah. That has been his response because he's been one of the people most frequently mm-hmm. criticized, mm-hmm. and I would recommend people read that to possibly gain some greater understanding. Okay. But also, and this might be a, a cynical reality of my covering this, there might not be an argument that is a silver bullet. Right. That when you are up against a sort of machine of information that is not going to ever give coverage or a platform to that, your Fox News is, mm-hmm. or even more far right, your your Newsmaxes and such, it's largely going to be sort of an echo chamber. Yeah. And you're never going to see something from the Atlantic pop up in there. You're never mm-hmm. going to hear any sort of alternative perspective. Right. As whether it comes to the successes of a school board race and whether the the solution for people who want to just kind of focus on the issues which I wish I also could be covering about student access mm-hmm. and improving grades and building new schools. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Butler was predominantly behind the bond campaign, which I've noted in a couple stories, yep. but haven't really gotten to dive into, unfortunately. Yeah. I think the the strategy, at least from uh, Butler, is that when I've reached out to her about this, she generally will say the same response of, I want to focus on the issues. I've said everything I need to say on mm-hmm. this. Um, and And that seems to be working for her. To kind of keep above it and keep her head above the water, but yeah. but we'll see how effective that is. That yeah. that generally seems to be where you can only say it so many times until you're blue in the face. Is is kind of the perspective I've been getting from. Yeah, it's hard to know what what works. And I'll tell you, when I first started seeing those uh, education not indoctrination signs, my thought was, wow, bold stance against the Pledge of Allegiance. Of course, there knowing are... that of course that's not what it is. But you know, right. I sort of feel like you know, there's. I know, I just, in my heart, I know that this group of parents is all four things like the Pledge of Allegiance, you know, is all four things that are sort of, you know, the U.S. is uh, U.S. exceptionalism and, you know, our founding fathers and all of those, you know, patriotic things, which is also indoctrination. Absolutely. There are progressive criticisms of textbooks as we've known them Mm -hmm. about slavery where it sort of will dance around what slavery is. Or talk about imported labor. Yes, that's that's a frequent euphemism for chattel slavery, which Mm -hmm. to some people is horrifying that you would not really say what it is. I I think about, and it possibly seems prescient now, as he often is, but there was the John Oliver piece where he didn't use the word critical race theory, but he talked about a lot of these same issues. Mm -hmm. About a year ago, I think in August, he talked about how kids will grow up not knowing some of the things. They won't know about the race massacres that happened right. where people were destroyed. They'll have to learn about it through the show Watchmen and yeah. how kind of from his perspective and from progressives that it can be psychologically unhinging to be exposed to that information later in life and think, well, why wasn't I told this when I was a kid? And But one of the video clips he used was a parent who said, 
I want my kids to learn that the best day in America or no, the worst day in America Mm -hmm. is the best day in the world. And that kind of creates a broader issue beyond CRT if we're looking to the broader scope. There are some parents who think school is about making their children feel happy and feel good about the country they're living in, even if that goes against the factual reality of where things are. Because, of course, Mr. Oliver's rebuttal was, well, it depends on who you are living in America and when you were living Mm -hmm. and how that has impacted you over time. So CRT might go away, but there will be broader conversations from progressives who say we aren't learning about the realities enough, from conservatives who would rather not uh, learn about these things, that that will be a conversation that probably goes beyond this this recent flare-up mm-hmm. of whatever CRT has become. Yeah. Well, uh, a last question I had was, what kind of response have you been getting from these stories? What have you been hearing from people? I try not to make myself as much of the story. You've been noticing yes. I've been often saying so-and-so will say. Yes. Um, there have been positive responses that people have appreciated the clarity that I've tried to bring to the stories, which Mm -hmm. has been a lot of work. When there's a lot of different narratives circling, Mm -hmm. you have to really try and cut through it and get a straightforward, simple explanation. But I will say there has also been a lot of toxicity around it. Mm -hmm. Um, In all the stories I've written, I haven't quite gotten the number of emails, which that's part of the job. I accept that. Um, But I think it is informative, especially I received a a voicemail from a blocked number, which is always a a bad sign. That was vaguely threatening. And teachers have been experiencing this. There's been a lot of reporting about teachers who are considering leaving Mm -hmm. that already after a year of COVID that there was a lot of burnout. And why would they stick around with this potential looming uh, scrutiny on them for trying to do their jobs? And as they see it, holding them back from teaching kids the important facts. So there's been a decent amount of toxicity. I hope for everyone that the kind of discourse can cool down a bit. Yeah. But it's, it's impossible to know. Hmm. Well, um, thank you, you know, for bringing all of this information in. I really appreciate it. Um, what else are you working on? What do you sort of expect to be doing through the end of the month and into August? I will be following the primary election, not just for the school board, but for the city council ones primarily because the current mayor of Gig Harbor is running unopposed, mm-hmm. which relates to the other thing I'm covering about a city council race where the former Mayoral candidate, Mr. Scanzi, has also been caught up in some uh, concerning behavior to many, uh, where he was banned from a couple different Seattle public schools as a substitute teacher. He was at a protest last summer where he stood with a bunch of armed men and Representative Jesse Young that some people were concerned about. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll probably happen before this podcast goes up, but there's a couple debates and forums surrounding that. So. If there's, I guess the thing I would say, I'm covering what people are talking about. And if there's any tips or stories people think I should know about, they can, they can always reach out as I'm, I'm the only reporter for the Gig Harbor Key Peninsula area. So I, there's never, there's never enough that I can do. How can people find you? Sure. They can find me on Twitter at Eclectic Hutch, E-C-L-E-C-T-I-C, Hutch, H-U-T-C-H, or just Chase.Hutchinson at thenewstribune.com. Excellent. Thank you, Chase. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you.
Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.